Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Each episode, your hosts bring you news, views, and abuse from America's professional rugby union, along with all the latest on the USA national team. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Earful of Dirt podcast. My name is Joshua Fredland. You can find me at Josh Fred on Twitter. Joining me tonight is Craig Gerdell. You can find him at MM Fly Half on Twitter. Uh, it's been a beautiful week for me in Colorado. Craig, how about or Craig? How about you? It's cold here. Cold in New York. Uh, very, very cold. Hopefully, trending back up towards more spring-like weather. But uh, had to turn the heat back on in the house. Get out the warm blanket. Uh, and that it, it applies also to the New York game. I went, I went to the game in Hoboken. It was a cold, windy affair. It sleeted for a good portion of the game. So, uh, you know, not the weather you hope for late March, but here we are. Hey, speaking of that, you you mentioned a couple times the um, the parking situation in Hoboken. How was that? There's no parking. Uh, <laughs> you know, you, I see the Seattle Facebook group is having some issues with parking. Looks like Tony Rudnell, uh, Rudnell has come to the rescue, and, and they look like they're trying to address it. I don't know what goes on out there. If it's, It sounds like there may be safety issues, but in Hoboken, it's just street parking in Jersey, you know, nearby the stadium. So I found a spot you know, on the side of the road at a park. Uh yeah, there, there's no like official parking lot, so um, yeah, or or you're, you fend for yourself in the New Jersey. <laughs> seems seems like a lot. I know that I know back when the Raptors were still there, Infinity Park does have a parking lot, but that thing gets packed quickly. You have to park a couple blocks away, blocks away, and walk. So at least it's it hard to find parking though. Like, I mean, in Hoboken, it's not just spots everywhere. You got to drive around and look for a spot. No, it isn't that hard. There's that. There's a little shopping mall a couple blocks away. There's a parking garage over there too. So, it's a little bit better. Not much. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, it, the the Chile the USA Chile game has just been announced for Denver, right? So. Uh, yeah, they announced that it was Saturday, July sixteenth, at one p.m. local time, so Mountain Time, three p.m. Eastern, two p.m. Central, noon Pacific. Bring your sunscreen. <laughs> Denver gets hot in the middle of summer. There was I when Pro was here. We went. Um, me and my family went to the the game against the San Diego team. It was 110 degrees that day. It was hot. So, yeah. Bring your sunscreen and park at the parking mall a couple blocks away. <laughs> uh, let's get into it. First game of the weekend of the Visitors Union weekend. We had the New England Free Jacks rolling on down to Atlanta, beating beating the first place team and putting themselves in first. You know, it, it was beating Atlanta, excuse me, forty one to twenty seven. It was a great game overall, and you know, New England pulled away in the end. What did you What did you see out of this one, Craig? You know, two strong sides, uh, though. Yeah, I think we talked about this last week in the preview. I, I think New England matches up well with Atlanta because Atlanta, at least this season's version of Atlanta, plays a little more of a high-risk sort of game. They play very fast, very aggressively. I think New England plays a mistake-oriented game 
Uh, and so, you know, given enough time and enough intensity, New England is really good at causing mistakes. And I think that's what you saw here. It sort of played out just like we, we described last week. Um, I, I will say one thing I don't think we, we touched on in the podcast last week, but which I think did manifest is it, it's not just a matter of saying, well, New England is good at creating mistakes and turnovers and whatnot. I mean, it's not like they do some magic spell. They're good at it because of certain things that they do. And one of those things I think was really helpful to them this week, which is putting a lot of big hits. You know I mean? I think Atlanta was playing real fast, but everywhere they went with the ball, they were taking big hits from New England and it just seemed to wear da- wear them down over time. You know, they, Atlanta was getting the better of the game in the beginning. It's kind of like a, a boxing match where you see a guy that just does a lot of body shots in the first few rounds. You know, it may not be doing a lot of visible damage. You may not think that that boxer is winning the fight, but the body work early on just wears out the opponent, and then in the later rounds they fatigue, and that's really where the, where the, the win comes. I feel like that was essentially what – New England did here. They they started off the first forty plus minutes with body blows to Atlanta, and even though Atlanta were getting the you know had the lead, they they were you know slightly edging New England through that time period. It really wore them down, and uh, then New England was able to run away with it for the last twenty minutes. They completely outplayed Atlanta. Yeah, it was nineteen to fourteen going into half. Um, the last points at. Atlanta had was a penalty kick from Kirk Coleman at the 55th minute. And then after that, it was all New England. So, you know, I'm sure the injuries didn't help. You know, you had Captain Matt Heaton going out with a head knock. You had Will Leonard coming off, George Barton coming on, uh, making his ATL debut. His his bowling ball style of lends itself well to to the, the offense, but not necessarily to the defense. And I and I, I think I agree with your point that those body blows that New England was delivering just had ATL shut down the last 20 minutes. Yeah, so good. I mean, obviously a great outcome for New England. They now get to be in first place because of New York's loss. We'll get to later. But, uh, you know, I think – I think at this point they've officially taken the crown as the team to beat uh, in MLR for the first time really in their franchise history. I mean, it was Austin early. It's been kind of New England and Atlanta. But, I mean, at this this point, New England has beat Atlanta, Austin, and New York. So, I mean, I don't know who, you know, hard to give the crown to anyone else for right now. Next up, also from the Eastern Conference, we had Nola going up to – D.C., uh, basically Virginia at this point, um, as most Washington teams tend to be. Um, Nola beat Old Glory 31-22. to D.C. finally got a point after week eight. Um, fortunately, didn't help. Ended up, um, news came out that they and head coach Andrew Douglas have parted ways for the season. Um, at the moment, we don't know who. They're instituting a worldwide search according to the uh, short-form article in America's Rugby News. So, I mean, the, the game otherwise was actually a pretty good game, considering I know we can't say that a lot about some D.C. games, but this one was pretty good. Um, you had Oppie Nakatini um, coming on. Uh, I think he was actually a last-minute sub, if I'm not mistaken, to the starting lineup. Um, Felix Kalapu was scheduled to start, uh, but he – 
his suspension from a hit against um, ETL last week was upheld um, while DC was appealing it. So that was why the last minute change was happening. And, and so Abi Nakatini was definitely the benefit there. Um, but paddle tool, have yourself a day, man. Two true tries within 15 minutes. So it's definitely a, a great game from him. So what, what else did you see here, Craig? You know, obviously you always hate to see someone get fired. You know, this is a, a business and you get it when a team is winless through essentially the first half of the season or you know, virtually the first half of the season. Um, I, I think Old Glory were trending a little better. I mean, the last couple of weeks they'd played a little better. Uh, Nola's been playing a little better too, so maybe you know that – might make this result look even a little marginally better for DC, but they remain unable to execute defensively uh, either at all. You know, some weeks they're unable to execute at all or in weeks like this, they're unable to execute in the key moments, you know, when they, when a game's on the line, but they hung in this one for a long time. Um, you know, some discipline. They 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 seem to counter lack or combine lackadaisical. I don't even want to say lackadaisical. I used that term last week to describe Utah. That's not exactly what I mean here. It's like it's just individual failures on defense to make tackles. I mean, they just have to be able to stick their men a little bit better. Uh, combine that with ill discipline. I think they it was something like nine to four penalties conceded, you know, where DC got the worst of that. So, you know, just, it was too much for them to, to pull out the win here. And it's been too much every week. Um, so, I mean, what else can you do, but try, you know, a new, a new skipper. I, I will say um, the signing of Penny Lasaka has definitely been a great signing for them. You know, he had two tries here. So you know, like, it, like you said, they're definitely trending up. So we'll, we'll see where they go from here. And then the third match of the weekend, definitely a surprise to me, scoring line-wise. Um, maybe not so to some other people. Um, speaking um, speaking of parking problems in Seattle, we had LA going up to Seattle, beating them 31-12. to uh, Had a, another player with the Braves and Joe Taufete. Um, I didn't get to see much of this one. I, I was able to sneak peeks, but did you see anything that stood out to you here, Craig? Uh, I just think I think LA is coming into form. You know, they started a little slow. It, notorious last year, they had that Hawaii training camp before the season, and they exploded onto the scene. Um, you know, this year, new coach, missing some key players. No Hawaii, as far as we know. Um, so maybe they were it's just a slow burn for them to get ready, but. Uh, their last couple of weeks, they've started to look like the LA of last year. They're they're playing really tough defense. Their attack is a lot, looks a lot more dynamic, and it looks like it's presenting threats from a lot of different uh, angles. You know, getting a lot of different looks the way that they were really good at doing last year. Um, Seattle just didn't seem to have didn't seem to have an answer, especially in attack. I mean, Seattle was kind of all over the place. Uh, almost almost looked like they were nervous. I mean, that's silly to say since they're ahead in the standings and at home. So I don't know what it was. If there's just some like bad juju there, but they were doing a lot of what I thought were ill-advised kicks, you know, attacking like cross-field kicks. I don't know if that was part of the, sh- the game plan or it was probably just on-the-spot decision-making. Um 
Yeah, I think that they would have been better served to stick more within their normal game. You know, give it to their playmakers with ball in hand uh, and see if they can break through. But I, I get how that can be frustrating because I think LA is has the potential to be really good defensively, and they've been playing that way the last couple of weeks. And I, I think maybe Seattle was getting frustrated by the lack of their ability to do things, and they got maybe a bit impatient. I don't know, hard, hard to say, but. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think this was one of their better games in terms of uh, like game plan and strategic approach, particularly to attack. Um, so, you know, they lost pretty pretty handily here. Uh, this might have been the most lopsided game of the week. So, good on LA. Uh, I guess they're they're making their push now, and and Seattle's trying to hold on to a playoff spot uh, in the West, and. Uh, you know, this looks. This is only a one week snapshot, but it looked to me like teams treading in opposite directions. Which you know, obviously, if you're a Seattle fan, you hate to see. Is last year was tough. You would climb back in. We're looking pretty good for a few weeks here, um, but uh, yeah, still a lot of season left. So we'll see how it goes. Um, it was the most lopsided um, by three points. <laughs> by three points, because. Next matchup, um, the National Game of the Week was broadcast on Fox Sports 1, um, having Houston going up to Utah, coming away with the victory in surprisingly dominant fashion, which we I don't think we've ever seen out of a Houston side. Um, I know you, you know we had talked about them a couple times previously about how they didn't – they looked – were how did you – how did, I forget how you phrased it almost – did you say compact? Something like that. Their off their offense was kind of compact. Yeah, they, I mean, at the beginning of the year, they had a very simple offense. I, I don't know exactly what term I, I may have used over the different weeks, but it was very vanilla. Uh, maybe that's the term, like just pretty plain. I, I actually wasn't that surprised by this. I, I was surprised by the Giltini's comfort in victory for sure. I was a little less surprised with this one, honestly. I just think. Uh, I think Houston are really rounding into good shape. Uh, they've been they've been training up for a few weeks, and I really like the balance they've struck between the the big physical, disciplined style that they showed when they beat LA Week One, for example. Um, with the but that that style lacked maybe some of the attacking flair they would need to beat better teams. Um, and they've combined that now with their sevens players, where I think have or essentially weekly, you know, start every week now. Um, had a big, you know, uh, um, what's his face? Uh, played a big game. Uh, Leuta I had a, had a good week this week, so um, I think I really like what they're doing right now. In fact, I think Houston may very well be the best, playing the best in the West right now. You know, it. it um... It, they did surprise me too. Um, I think the return of Jerry Labashanga from suspension definitely helped get their offense out wide going. Um, so that that was pretty good. One of the things that actually surprised me a lot was um, going back to Utah's game against Seattle and their scrum. Houston's scrum was almost the most dominant scrum against Utah I think I've ever seen, especially in this game. There were times yeah. when they were going backwards. You, which you don't, I don't think I've ever seen from Utah squad ever. So that was, yeah. that was definitely both, both good scrumming size. But Houston are just so big. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, you get, I get it. Uh, I get it. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, look at that. Look at that. I'm just looking at the Houston starters. I mean, these aren't props per se, but I mean, look at the the caps in this uh, in this front row. They have Mahoney, Danny Barrett, Malin Aljabori. They have, so they have three starting Eagles, at, whether sevens or fifteens, over the years. Uh, the three people that have started for the Eagles in that pack. I mean, it's they're they're going to be good. I, I think if they can keep up this, you know, the way they're playing right now, I I'd be curious to see if any team in the West. Could could beat what they're offering. Yeah. And, they didn't even use yeah. Nick Boyer, who I think is another good player. Did he not play this week? According to Aaron, he was not used. Yeah, he was not used. <laughs> I but, remember seeing him. <laughs> um, we did. Christian Tyre. This team is solid. Houston are solid, man. Yeah, I think it's definitely one of the surprise teams of the year so far. We'll we'll probably have that discussion next week at a midseason show um, because after this week. This upcoming week, it, this is week nine, so we'll hit the halfway mark of the season after this coming week. Um, but with the win for Houston, it put five teams within four points of each other. Austin's still on top with 23. San Diego and Seattle both have 21. Houston has 20, and L.A. has 19. So that one's that one's kind of a, a race there, whereas the East is three teams pretty much with New England, yeah. ATL, and New York. Toronto and NOLA could maybe make a run, but – it's pretty much a three-team race at this point. Yeah. And in fairness, in the West, Seattle have played one game more than everyone else. So, yeah. on a points-per-game basis, they would drop out. And, it, the, yeah, the three teams with the most points per game played are Austin, San Diego, and Houston. I think that's fairly representative of who has earned a playoff spot so far this year in the West. And before the Utah fans get on me for not mentioning it, we do have to mention the return of Paula C.K., um, he kept a great beard, so he is showing his age a little bit, but he still runs as hard as he did before. Ended up with a try on a quick ball down by the five-meter line, so it was great, it's great to see him back. Yeah, love Paul CK, of course. Uh, the try came very late, uh, you know, when the game was more or less out of hand. Um, still, I mean, you know, Utah has some great players too. Uh, they just, you know, they, I feel like their spirit seems a little broken. To me, you know, they, they obviously I picked them as my preseason shield favorite. So I like what they had. They've added a tremendous player like Policy Gay. Um, but you know, they had some early season struggles. They they had some close losses. Um, and it just seems like their morale is down to me. You know, they're kind of like they're coming in defeated before they start. That's how it feels. Uh, next game, final game of last week, um, Craig's favorite game because he couldn't find parking. <laughs> we had Toronto problems. Toronto heading to New York, walking New York out. Couldn't with, find parking for the ball in their hands. Uh, <laughs> walking out with the fourteen to ten victory. Um, Andrew Quatrin with the game winning try, running through four people. So that was that was a cool sight to see. I don't, Craig. What did what did you feel New York was missing here? Well, I mean, it, clearly they had a ton of, of handling errors, and a lot of them are like unforced handling errors too. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't that the passes were coming in tight windows or they were taking big hits. It was just like I'm running with the ball and I just drop it, sort of handling errors. Uh, now you like drop passes, like I'm holding it and it just slips out of my hand for no reason <laughs> and falls to the ground, sort of knock-ons. Um, I think 
you know, I think Toronto did a good job. It seems to me clear that Toronto's strategy was to use the, their kicking to keep the ball buried deep in, in New York's half so that New York would either have to play deep in their own end or kick back and give Toronto counterattack opportunities. And for the most part, that let Toronto control sort of the, you know, to use a military term, I thought they had the initiative. You know, they were the ones dictating how and where the game was being played. And New York were having a lot of trouble breaking free of that. Uh, I, I remember, I feel like at some point in the first, towards the end of the first half, it was still nothing, nothing. And New York scored. And I think it, we made some comments sitting next to Scott Ferreira, the big guy, you know, most people who are into MLRC and are probably familiar with, he does rugby rant podcast and some others. Uh, I was sitting next to, to Scott Ferreira and I, I turned to him, I think I said, it's great that we're winning because I don't think we've been out of the New York half this entire half of the game. I mean, we've been in, inside the New York 50 this entire game. So I, I think I mean, what was missing was, I guess, they, they were just struggling to, to seize the initiative from Toronto. They did a really good job of controlling the game that way. I don't know if it's because it was cold that New York was just like could not find a way to, to bring control back to them. Um, but I mean, a lot of it was the handling errors because when it seemed like maybe they would, they would drop the ball or knock it on or whatever, and that 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 sent off a lot of opportunities out of New York. Um, I mean, the final score, you know, Toronto's try came right after they tried to kick and just hit a New York player and went dead like two feet away from the scrum half, and <laughs> luckily bounced right back to Toronto. So I mean, they they had some some a little a bit of a fortunate. You know, series of bounces there, I would say. But, I mean, all, all credit to Toronto. They played a great – they had a great game plan. They played really tough. They went, you know, hit for hit with New York. Both, both sides of them were playing very physical. Mike Shepard, an absolute monster, just taking huge hits. They took him off for an HIA. He came right back on, just got right back into the middle of things, made more huge hits. Um, so, you know, credit to Toronto. I think I think they're, they're – Toronto seemed like they're – Figuring out what works for them, which is counterattack, physicality and defense, you know, smart tactical kicking, um, and they're trying to maybe do a little less of the, you know, champagne rugby that that sometimes in years past they've had a little element of that, um, and I think it worked for them, especially in the really cold weather uh, that was in New York this week. So, yeah, good, good. They look good. New York did not look good in, in my view in this game. Um, so, you know, we'll see. I think, you know, Dylan Fawcett hasn't been starting lately. Uh, he came on in this one, and I think he made a, a, a big positive contribution in the line out. Obviously, it wasn't enough in the end, but, you know, I think if I'm a New York fan, I'd like to see, you know, I'd like to see him starting if he's healthy enough to start. And hopefully he is. Uh, you know, I, I of course, Mark gave him rest. I think he played like every game, you know, or almost every minute of the games in his first season in New York. So they, they definitely used the heck out of him, and I understand they want to rest him. Um, but man, he, I mean, he's he's a real asset, especially in a lineout, especially in a league where lineouts are very inconsistent. Um, yeah, they think they need him. All right, let's move into the discussion topic of the week. Um, Craig, this was your suggestion. I, I Actually, great suggestion. Um, more critical to success, the set piece, the defense, or halfback play. Um, my quick take, two out of the three. 
you gotta have two out of three. If you have two out of the three, I think you have a chance. All three will definitely get you there. But if you made me pick one, I would say set piece. Yeah. So just so everyone who's listening or, or watching or is following, uh, sometimes we, you know, in our pre uh, pre show chats, we discuss what subjects might be of interest to talk with all y'all. And if you guys have subject suggestions, by the way, feel free to send them in. Uh, but so this week, I it was I was thinking about what is the most critical for being a successful MLR franchise in 2022. If you had to choose between set piece. Defense, halfback plays, um, halfback you know, quality of play. Uh, so, I mean, I guess let's look at our our leading teams, right? So, Austin and New England are first place, first place. In Austin, do we have a great set piece? I don't know, average set piece, right? Uh, do we have great defense? I would say yes. We have a lot. We have very good defense. Points allowed, they're at one ten. That is lowest in the league. Okay, so very strong def- defense. Do they have great halfback play? I don't. I don't think so. I mean, again, I'd say above average, probably. Um, but you know, I haven't. I, I don't recall. You know, a lot of play creation or, or some ex- extreme amount of play creation coming out of the halfbacks in Austin. So in New England, defensively, they've allowed one forty-five, which isn't super low. Um, but they've played, they've played the best teams out there, you know, and they, they've had a really tough schedule so far. I, I do actually, I think their defense is actually very good. Um, how's their set piece? I think their set piece is also very good. You know, frankly, I think they will have a pretty strong set piece. They're very physical. Um, scrum probably a little bit more. And, and we don't have the benefit of stats anymore for team stuff. So a lot of this is just anecdotal based on, you know, what I've seen, but to me, I, I would say it seems like their scrum is a little stronger than the line out, perhaps. Uh, still, though, I'd say they have one of the better set pieces. Halfback play, putting Waka, my player of the year so far, uh, at 10. Uh, so they certainly have that. They've been using Holden Younger, uh, a NOLA, uh, you know, former NOLA star, Holden Younger at nine. I think he's he's had somewhat of a resurgence, too. I think he, he does well in the New England system, which is a little more physical, a little more you know, punch you in the mouth sort of style, which I think seems to be more of his instinctual style than Nola of your, which is a little, you know, more about playing wide and fast. So uh, what does that lead us to conclude? I mean, I think defense seems to be the, the one most consistent thing between those two. Um, and I think if you look across the board, the teams that are top of the league, let's see, let's see the, the, the highest ranked team with a bad points allowed. San Diego with 173 is pretty high points allowed. They're in second in the West. I mean, really no one else has allowed, you know, no, no other team. Again, I'm moving Seattle out because they played one game more than everybody else. So you got kind of, you know, hold their stats <laughs> off to the side there for a second. So ignoring that, I mean, Houston has 145 allowed. New York, one thirty-seven. Atlanta, one fifty-seven. So I mean, pretty, pretty good defenses all across the board. So I'm going to say most important thing to success in MLR twenty twenty-two is strong defense. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you there because if if you if you look at the top teams, we'll just use Austin because it's the best example, and then them and the three teams from the East that are at the top. That disparity between points for and points allowed, it's it's 
very, very present, similar to how L.A. was at the first half of last year. So I I definitely agree with you there that defense is probably the 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 absolute key piece. Like if to me, if you made if like if we were to rank those those three areas, it'd probably be defense, set piece, and halfback play for me. Um, because we saw what Austin was able to do last year with basically no offense. Austin just didn't have an offense at all last year, and they've managed to discover one to the point yeah. of being third in the league in offense this year. So. Yeah, I agree. And and you know, I guess um, take take with that that you know in the in the eastern side teams are you know again it's been a very tough schedule. I think even San Diego, who's in second in the West, who is probably the one outlier in terms of like point differential and points allowed, being being on the higher side. I mean, they've also probably had the easiest schedule of all the teams that are in the top of either side so far. Um, so, I mean, that San Diego may not may not persist that high in the table if they uh, continue to have that level of defense. So, I like it, defense. But again, fans, you know, people, you know, in the comments or you know, messages on social media, curious what what y'all think. Maybe we can even do like a poll. We do a Facebook poll, Josh, where you put it out there. You know, what's the critical thing? Uh, and put those three options to see how people vote. I might throw it on Twitter and throw it on the, the yeah, subreddit. throw it on Twitter. Yeah. Um, one thing I might one a fourth option I might add just for the poll is probably depth, just because we'll, we're seeing that tested majorly in a couple places. Um, you know, I listed I think ten injuries the other day for or the other week for LA. Um, Toronto has twelve injuries. Um, and then Dallas's incident was was definitely big for them. Um, so it seems it, like the injured teams are doing great so far, though. So. Except for Dallas. Well, so. they only got injured since the last time they played. Yeah, we'll see how they do. So, we'll see how it goes from there. Uh, picks of the week. Um, I'm going to put this up from Rick. Rick Meyer, friend of the podcast. We love you, Rick. <laughs> So I joked with him that if he tells us who he likes, we'll jinx them for him. So, <laughs> yeah. So, right, right. I went four for six last week. New York had won. But it felt really good on my Super Rue. I think I yeah. moved up, though. All right. First game of the week. It's on April Fool's Day. This is not a joke. San Diego is visiting Utah at 8 p.m. Eastern. Um, the, media op- the media outlets are going to be long here, so give me a second. The game will be broadcast on the Rugby Network for everyone to watch. Local broadcasts in California on Your View California. Broadcasts in Utah are on KMYU, KSLSports.com, and a radio broadcast on ESPN 700 AM. So that's that's actually great to hear. We finally get radio broadcasts. Uh, is this a coin flip to you? <laughs> this almost feels like one to me. Yeah, tough one. I mean, certainly just going on form, I think you'd have to pick San Diego, but I'm not going to go on form. I'm going to go on feel. And I feel <laughs> like this is a get-right game for Utah. Again, I think they've they've shown different flashes. I also think San Diego is an older team, uh, and you know, they have fewer new tricks in the bag, I think. You know, they, they do they rely on a lot of, of big plays by their key playmakers that have now been doing the same stuff for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um it's in Zion's bank. 
so I'm going to say I actually am going to give the edge to Utah here. Uh, probably, I, I would think this is going to be a very unpopular Super Bowl pick, Rick Meyer. Uh, I, I'm guessing like 80% of people are going to pick San Diego, but I'm going to take Utah by three. Uh, I'm going to be one of those 80%. I'm going to take San Diego by two because I will get the five-point bonus point anyway if they end up winning. But um, actually, I'm going to take San Diego by seven. Um, I do feel that they – I think you you mentioned or Utah's taking a step back a little bit. I, I, I can definitely see that. We'll, we'll see how much of an impact Paul Lasique does have You know when he starts, I feel like. There were a couple comments last week I saw on the Reddit thread about him huffing and puffing, but I was like, you're going from sea level in England to above a mile high, basically, or about a mile high, basically, in Salt Lake. So you got to give him a couple weeks to get acclimated. So they, he was back for a week. This week, hopefully, he should be good, you know, so he gets acclimated to that altitude again. And you're taking those bowling ball hits at that altitude. It's going to be tough, but I'm still – I'm going to pick with San Diego going on for him. Um, next up, the re- finally the return of Toronto to a home match in Toronto, not in British Columbia, at York Lions Stadium. I know a lot of people um, would prefer the other stadium, but it is still covered, I believe, and covered until May. And then um, it is also not – the facilities aren't the best. There's stuff from what I've heard. So on the Rugby Network and TSN in Canada on on Saturday, April 2nd, 12 p.m. Eastern. So uh, a brunch kickoff for us rugby folks. So get, get your drinking in early. Um, and so we have Rugby ATL visiting Toronto. Uh, I Almost a coin flip game again. Yeah. So, so last week, every visitor won. I think that I've seen on the internet, I cannot independently confirm this, but I've seen it claimed that this is the first time in MLR history that was the case. Um, I may pick every home team this week. Uh, so again, I think Toronto is not going to be the favorite. It's going to be the expected underdog here. Um, you know, they just played two pretty tough games, but yeah, that's a far trip for, for rugby ATL, a much different climate. Um, I think Rugby ATL has kind of owned Toronto for a while. I think they swept them last year. I mean, all the games were in Atlanta last year. They were sharing a uh, sharing a stadium, um, but certainly that's got to stick stick in Toronto's maw a little bit. Um, I'm sure, they're they're looking forward to playing Atlanta in Toronto for once. Fire and Ice Bowl, I think, is that the name of this uh, Fire and Ice Cup? I, mean, I, Cup. I just remembered that, so I was like, "Give me." Um, if, if I remember correctly, um, it can only be one on the opposing team's home field. So Atlanta, I believe Atlanta is the defending the, the, or the hold, current holders of the Fire and Ice Cup. Um, so we'll see which teams show up. Um, if Toronto can you know, have the team that showed up against New York last week, especially since we've seen New York beat ATL already, I'm I think Toronto, I, and then I think Toronto's just going to win. Period. You know, they want to defend the home turf. They haven't been home in over in close in over two years now. Um, maybe bordering on three, if I'm not mistaken. They didn't get one in 2020 because of the shortened season. So I, I'm going to go Toronto by seven. Oof. 
All right, you picked Toronto too. I was going to pick Toronto. Now I'm thinking strategically, do I want to pick Atlanta? Uh, I just, this is such a hard one because Atlanta's aggressive defense, I think, is going to make it really tough on Toronto to score. I I don't think Toronto has a great attack, uh, not a very dynamic attack. Uh, But man, they are physical, and I think Atlanta can run into trouble. You know, trying to play too too fast against a hard hitting team in the cold weather. Ugh, I'm gonna go with Toronto by one. Yeah, and I just found it. Um, the cup can only be won if you win in the home stadium of the previous year's winner. Is how it was. Is how it has well, been described. The cup, I guess, will stay in Atlanta then, but for a couple more weeks. For a couple more weeks. So uh, you know, anything goes up there. Okay, next game of the week. Um, and we actually have games spread out this week. We don't have five games kicking off at once. So um, the final Saturday game is a 4.30 p.m. Eastern kickoff on the Rugby Network, Your View, and then NBC Sports Boston. We have the NOLA Gold visiting the New England Free Jacks. I'm, I – Based on form, I know we've mentioned form and feel, but I've I've have to go both here for New England. I feel like, after, especially after the the way they won against Rugby Atlanta last week, I'm I'm gonna go New England by ten. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. I think New England is are playing really well and really confident right now, and they're playing at home again. A Southern team going north into the cold, I think, is. Uh, you know, is a, is a big ask. So I'm going to say, uh, yeah, I was going to say New England by 10. But since you went that, for that first, I will say New England by 14. All right. Uh, next up, Craig, you going to make the trip out to Hoboken again? I am not. I think I'm going to be in a, in Boston this weekend uh, with my in-laws. Maybe I'll make the trip to Quincy. I was going to say you're going to make it out to the Free Jacks game. Yeah. So um, Old Glory – with an interim head coach traveling up to Hoboken to face Rugby New York um, Sunday, April 3rd at 3 p.m. Eastern on the Rugby Network in NBC Sports Washington on tape delay. I'm just going to go Rugby New York by 20. I don't think we need to say much about this game. Yeah, I'll say Rugby New York by 15. All right. Ernie. Ernie. Uh, big news uh, before we get to our next update, since it concerns one of our team. If you did not hear, there was an off-the-field incident with a walkway collapse with the Dallas Jackals. Uh, nine players were hurt, um, and along with suspensions and other injuries, they only had 20 other senior players available at the, at one point. Um, they've had some loans and some trades come in to help them out, but I'm just going to go ahead and list them all off um, for everyone. Um, Henry Trinder is out for the season. Uh, Ned Hodson is out for six weeks. Uh, Todd Gleave and Carlo Nyshen are out for two to three weeks. Although there was a post that Dallas put up, if I can find it, give me a second, uh, that showed them training, doing scrum training. And Brian Ray um, talked about Todd Gleave actually being in that video. So we'll see if he can um, suit up um, after that incident. So we'll see what happens there. Um, and then, excuse me, Kelly Kohlberg is also out for two to three weeks. And then Luke Rizzo, Conrado Hura, 
Alejandro Torres, and then possibly rookie of the year, Eric Naposki, um, also out one to two weeks. And then along with Matt Frings being suspended, um, long-term injuries to Chris Pinnell, Jeremy Lanyards, and Mo Abdomonimum. And then other injuries to Liam Murray, Calvin Gentry, Sam Phillips, and Decourt Davis left them with only 20 people, 20 senior players available. So, you know, they're probably, we'll see if they end up with some club call ups from the area. Um, they did, were able, like I, said, I mentioned a little bit earlier, they mentioned they made some trades and got some loans. Um, they made a trade with Nola for um, a lock back row player, Charlie Hola. They made and then three loans: one from Utah, one from Seattle, and one from Nola. Carson Shoemaker, uh, n- another back row player from Utah. Augusto Bohm, um, a hooker from Seattle, who uh, actually recently signed from Chile. So, uh, you know, good to see the teams helping out a little bit too, and I'm thankful for these guys stepping up. You know, if if not putting their hand up to, to you know go out there, and then Jack Webster, a center from Nola, also stepping out. So we'll see how everything rolls into this week. Um, Sunday, April 3rd, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, kicking off from the L.A. Coliseum on the Rugby Network, TXA 21 in Dallas and Valley Sports SoCal. We have the Jackals visiting the Giltinis. Is this another one where we just say, hey, they're putting up at least 20 points? Yeah, uh, tough. Tough situation for the Jackals. I mean, this – when we – got to the old glory rugby New York game. I almost made a comment like this has got to be the, the no brainer of the week. And then I looked at the next game. I was like, Oh no, maybe it doesn't have to be. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what could you possibly expect from Dallas here? They're basically a, a team of completely new people put together with no downtime going to LA playing in the Coliseum, uh, you know, LA by 30. <laughs> All right. I'll go 25 just to be just to, Lower be different. And then final game of the week, the national game of the week will be broadcast on Fox Sports 2. Possibly, maybe, I don't know if I want to say, I don't, is it jinxing it too early if I say match of the year contender? So, yeah, I think it's definitely a match of the year contender. I, I like it. Uh, Texas, you know, inner Texan squad. Texas cut, Texas cut matchup. Uh, is we that have the fifth lane of this one, or would we make that up? I believe that's what Houston put out. Texas um, Cup. I believe it is the Texas Cup. Uh, yeah. But it is. Back, it back is, to the drawing board. Let's think a little bit harder about this. We could do better than Texas Cup. Uh, but I like it. Okay. Yeah. I, like I said, I, I alluded to this earlier, Houston versus Austin. Again, I think if you're picking on form, you probably have to take Austin still, even though they've lost two in a row. So maybe not. Uh but I, this, I'm going to break my all-home streak for this week, and I'm going to take Houston by three. This is a tough one for me because Austin is coming off of a bye week. If I'm, if my, yeah, my brain will actually remember Austin is coming off of a bye week, so we'll see what they were able to, you know, re- recover quickly in that week off. Um, however much film they were able to get in. I'm actually going to take Austin by um, five, uh, another five-point victory for me. Um, I, I do think that that week off will help them. They were able to get some extra film, um, get some guys recovered. So I, it's, it's definitely going to be a good game, but probably one you know everyone should have on their calendars. You know, it's relatively – it's 
you know, so it's Sunday night rugby in our case. It's at 7 p.m. Eastern on Sunday, so it's, it's definitely good for uh, good for the league to you know have it more spread out and then get the national game under you know at a time when a lot of people would actually be watching. Uh, questions. We actually have questions this week because my um, my brain actually remembered to put out the post early to get the questions. Um, you know, we talked to, uh, first up from Petard's Hoist uh, asking for our take on the old glory, on Old Glory um, and their coach parting ways, and then how much of the record is on him. Um, we talked. To, we mentioned it a little bit earlier. Um, they started out four and one in that shortened season, um, and they dropped to six nine and one last year, and then we're zero and seven, zero and eight at the zero and seven at this point. So probably not surprising that it happened, but maybe surprising that it happened this early. Yeah. I mean, you can't really say what's the coach's responsibility. I mean, you know, the team's performance is the coach's responsibility and the team is not performing well. So, um, you know, I think, yeah, the, the bucks to a certain extent stops there. And so, you know, typically I don't think it's surprising that they're the first to go. And when the team struggles this way. So, you know, I think that's just the nature of the beast of professional sports. Um, you know, if, if it wasn't him and, and, you know, he's really, you know, got the chops, keep coaching profession. I'm sure he'll find another place and have another chance to, to put together a team and put together a product on the field. Um, and so we'll see if the next coach has any better luck, but ultimately you can't escape responsibility when you're, when you're the head man, and that's what we had here. Yeah, I, I think you. We we don't know what the inner workings were like. Whether it was, you know, the coach not getting on the players for their mistakes or just not having an effective game plan. We just we just don't know. But um, for the rest of the year, the coaches that remain are Tashi Palamo, who's the brother of Threat Palamo. He has been there since their um, test season, if you will, um, in twenty nineteen. Um, Callum Gibbons, who was a player, signed as a player coach last year, and then James Willox, who joined from Dartmouth this year. So those, those are the coaches for the rest of the year. We'll see if you know they have that investment from the Scottish Rugby Union. You know, a lot of Scottish rugby fans are kind of laughing at that at this point, especially with the record. So we'll see if anything. Maybe maybe we get a they get a Scottish coach over. You know, take a, take a little bit of advantage of that. We'll see. And then um, just final question from Life Lug. Uh, I will always pronounce this name wrong, and I apologize. From Life Love Rugby on Twitter. Uh, when will MLR announce the supposed next two teams? Um, there have been a lot of rumors. Um, I know The Guardian put out an article naming uh, – well, it was Chicago and St. Louis, right? I don't know. I've heard so many rumors over the months. Yeah. Um, I mean, the short answer is I have no idea. So we're all, we're all waiting to see when that will be. You know, if if I heard something that I could share, I would share it without you guys need to ask. I'd, I'd be the first to tell you if I knew that. Uh, I don't. I think 13 is an awkward number of teams. So I, I just as a pure guess from an administrative standpoint, I think they would do much They'd be much. Uh, they'd be making it much easier on themselves if they had fourteen or fifteen teams. 
So, I mean, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if we saw one or two more added after this season, but I don't know. So that, that'll definitely be interesting. Like if they finally get confirmed, we, I think we've had so much smoke that it's almost basically confirmed at this point. Um, you know, with 14, you, you go seven and seven, you go 15, you could even go three, five. So yeah. we'll see if that happens. Um, as far as timing of the announcement, if it actually is coming to fruition and they want to save it, I would say, you know, maybe halftime or, you know, MLR kickoff before the final. Um, so that maybe if they don't announce if they don't announce it early or whatever, that's probably when I would say it happens just to give the teams a chance to figure out what players they want to protect, what players they want to bring back, um, and then get the new teams involved in the draft process as well. Yeah. But, all right. I think relatively quick once again from us. Um, thank you for listening and watching, everyone. Thank you for the questions. Um, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at You're Full of Dirt. You can find Craig at MM Flyhoff on Twitter. You can find his uh, Monday morning Flyhoff articles on the Rugby Network. Great read to get your Monday started. And then um, thank you for listening, everyone, and go watch some rugby. Thanks for listening to Earful of Dirt. Connect with your hosts via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Visit our website at earfulofdirt.com or email us your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com.